Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earl. Hey, we're here today with Tiffany Jewell talking about her book for teenagers called This Book is Anti-Racist. I think a lot of parents today are concerned with, hey, how do I raise a teenager who's not racist? And that's great, you know, awesome. We definitely want to do that. But Tiffany argues we need to take things a step further than that. It's not enough just to not be racist. We need to actively be anti-racist. We want our teenagers to be able to recognize instances of microaggressions and racism all around them and not just to see them and sit idly by, but to actually do something about it. But wow, how do we do that? Well, that is the topic of today's episode. We have a wonderful discussion coming up here with Tiffany. We're going to talk about topics like intersectionality, the dominant culture, the difference between race and ethnicity, and why we really don't want to mix those things up. We're going to look at microaggressions, what they are, how to recognize them, what to do about it. There's a few different strategies. Look at the difference between calling someone in and calling someone out and why it's important to have both of those tools in your toolbox. We're going to get into the topic of white saviorism and see why sometimes actually trying to help people out can be a little problematic and how we can avoid falling into those problem areas. We're going to look at history and the importance of maybe redefining our history or or broadening the history that we're teaching to our kids. And language is a big topic throughout this entire episode is how do we make sure that we're always using the right language or using inclusive words when referring to folks of all different kinds of folks. And that is not easy. It's something that I struggle with. And we're going to really be talking to Tiffany about how we can all get better at using the right words. And finally, we're going to talk about superpowers. We're going to see how some of the things that your teenager is maybe feeling bad about or that make them different or help them, you know, not fit in are actually superpowers that they can use for good to make a positive difference if they just know how to do it. All of that and more is coming up on the show today and we're really excited about it. Tiffany, thank you so much for coming on Talking to Teens. Talk to me about this beautiful book that I just read. This book is anti-racist. We have a really, really amazing, colorful, illustrated book here that's really got some powerful things to say in it. What inspired you to write this and what's the story behind it? (laughs) There is an interesting story behind this. This book is anti-racist. So I think it was like 2018, 2017, and my editor at the time emailed me kind of out of the blue. And so I'm a teacher, like in a classroom, yeah. not an author at that time. So an editor emailed me and was like, have you ever thought about writing a children's book? Yeah. And I was like, um, not really. <laughs> 
Yep. But I'm interested. So I met with her. I mean, she was in London at the time. And so it was like through Skype, because this was before everybody used Zoom. And we talked about it. And she was following me on Instagram and noticed that I was doing a lot of work in my classroom around um, the history of racism and resistance and anti-racism. And she was like, there aren't a lot of books like that for young folks. And you're doing the work already. And so yeah. I started writing the book. And it took me about three and a half months. At the same time, the illustrator Aurelia Duran, who was living in Copenhagen at the time, and then Paris, like she's going between the two places. She um, was illustrating, so I would send in a batch, and then she would illustrate them. So it, it happened really quickly, like maybe too fast. <laughs> like no, no, no. It was, it's amazing, and the kind of everything that that's in the book is stuff that I had talked about with my own children or with my students. And I taught. At the time, I was teaching six to nine-year-olds, so younger students. The book is geared for, like, teenagers. And so it was kind of fun to be able to, like, give more information because I give more information yeah. to teenagers than I do to little kids. And so it kind of, like, just came out of all of the work I'd done as a teacher from the things I'd learned throughout my life. It was really kind of awesome ride. It's not like a normal author story either. <laughs> That's fair. Well, now I noticed that actually at yeah, Barnes and Noble looking for this thing and finding it in the children's books section. Mm -hmm. And it feels like not a children's book, I guess, as you mentioned, it feels like really it's for kind of teenagers or young adults or something. And yeah. the way it's illustrated is it like it's not cheesy. It's it's cool, you know, and right. I think it makes the information really accessible. And it's not like just a, a little couple words on each page or something. It, right. no, it's a book and it's 150 pages or right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I thought, yeah, it was interesting. I guess they have like a youth section, but I don't know, it's in there with all these like, you know, kids books kind of, yeah. you know, it was a little misleading to me or something actually, because it's yeah. like, it's not kids stuff. But anyways, cool. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> I've noticed too, that like a lot of bookstores don't really know where to put it, right? They're like, yeah, it's a little in the in between kind of right? phase or something. And, yeah, And it looks engaging. And so they're, they just put it in children's nonfiction, because there's not often like a YA or a teen nonfiction section. Yeah. They're like, well, teenagers will either like read kids books or adult books. And you're like, uh, we actually like, no, we need to tell it differently for teenagers. Well, it's awesome that someone's doing that. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about this. What does it even mean to be anti-racist? Yeah, it means a lot of things. For me, it really is kind of like looking at the society we're in and how there are a lot of kind of unfair, unjust, inequitable laws and policies and traditions and, and things that keep us as people in a community totally divided based on kind of created almost like imaginary hierarchical system that we've all like been brought up into. Yeah. And so being anti-racist is like working together with as many folks as possible for a more equitable and just world where like, look at like the school calendar, right? And how like all the holidays and things we get off are like Christian-based holidays or government holidays. And yeah. we don't get to like honor other cultures and religions and stuff the same way. And so kind of uh, an anti-racist society is one where we honor everybody. Yeah. And, you know, like schools will be like, oh, well, this kid, you can take your holiday off, but you have to miss school, but just give us a note. 
Yeah, yeah, right. Or yeah, you can take the day off from work. Yeah, it just counts as a vacation day. You know, everybody else. Well, oh, well, but why doesn't that one count as a vacation day? But but this one does. Well, hmm, interesting. Right. Oh, huh. yeah. It's not fair. <laughs> right. And so, and this is like why I love like writing and working with kids is because they mm. see things so clearly as yeah, to what's they, fair they get and it unfair. Quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. And they're like, that uh, is, why do we do? Totally that? overwhelmed. <laughs> right. As the adult, you're like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> there's little more to it sometimes but I love how like concrete they are and they kind of force us to pause and like break things down even more than maybe we're ready for can we talk just a little bit about language I already noticed here on this interview you're using the word folks and you talk about this in the book mm -hmm. and I thought this was really something that was uh, interesting to me and I just think that language is so important and I'm really trying to get better at this and mm -hmm. using non-gendered pronouns just referring to people yeah, I noticed myself just saying that just relating to just normal random people on the street and saying no hey what's up man and catching myself and being like why do I have to use a word that's you know why do I have to say a word that implies a gender just when I don't no, I don't know how someone wants to be referred to yeah. or something. But and I think this is definitely something that's been on my mind just a lot lately is how to refer to just mm -hmm. in the most inclusive way. And it's hard for me just to kind of be retraining myself. But this was helpful to me in the book, you have a discussion about this just right at the beginning. Mm. And, and I thought, you know, it's interesting the way they use the word folks with an X. Yeah, language is incredibly powerful. And we forget how powerful it is. You know, I think a lot of times um, when colonizers came to the country and one of the first things they did was like set up schools for indigenous students to learn not just like Christian ways, but to also learn the English language or Dutch language, like whatever mm. the language of the colonizers. Yeah. And from doing that, then we lost a lot of language as communities grew yeah. or didn't grow, like decreased too. And so for me, I'm always looking at language and how we can shift it to like honor as many people as possible. And, and the beautiful thing is we as adults have the work of like unlearning and relearning and learning and the kids in our lives are just learning and so I think of my own I have a 11 year old yeah. and a six-year-old but the 11 year old right now is so conscious of the language we use mm. and so the other day I like referred to somebody I can't remember what their name was but their name was like a stereotypical male name and so I referred to them as he. And yeah, my kiddo was right. just like, mama, you don't know how they identify. And I was like, you are totally right. right. And like, so let's go back. And this is how I'll like ask mm. the question differently. That is so cool. Yeah. And it's like, the thing is, I could have gotten really defensive because I'm like, well, this is how I've always done You know done what I'm it. trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. Which does come out sometimes. Sure. But instead it was like, oh, can you like help me figure this out? Can you show yeah. me what you've learned in your class or with your own friends? And it's the thing I also like really love about kids is that because they're just learning, they're also really willing to like teach us if we're like, yeah. oh, they love to do that. They had to call right? us out. <laughs> <laughs> right. And if we can like, if we're so like engaged in that, they'll do it more gently than it being this like antagonistic thing between us. Totally. So language is like one of those things that I feel is like, I have so much to learn about language. Like I just learned very recently from the fifth graders that I know that like they use the word sus instead of suspect. <laughs> and so they'll be like, oh, that's so sus what you just did. And I'm yeah, like, a little sus. Ah. 
And so like, I'm always learning new things, just like the language that I used when I was like a teenager and a, and a tween, my mom was probably like, I don't know what you're talking about. Too. <laughs> it was different in the nineties. <laughs> but also, yeah, it's like, it takes time. I think sometimes for things trickle through culture. And yeah. Yeah, I think the conversation is really changing on a lot of this stuff where at first mm -hmm. yeah, with like your people kind of making fun of non-binary pronouns and things like that. And now it's like, no, you can't make fun of that anymore. Actually, and my yeah. mom was just talking to my mom the other day. She's a medical malpractice attorney. She represents doctors and she mm -hmm. asked her first non-binary clients right now. And, and she's having to completely rethink the way right. she even writes letters because they don't want her to use right. not just referring to them, but to any humans. Yeah. And so it's like, well, normally I would say Mr. So-and-so and I, I can't say that. And so do I use, I use their full name and just having to kind of yeah. rethink like, wow, and starting to realize how much of the way that she normally just does everything is has these things kind of assumed or mm -hmm. built into everything. And I think sometimes it takes time to kind of for things like that to trickle through. Yeah. And I think this it's really getting there with a lot of this stuff where it's yeah. pretty mainstream now. <laughs> we got to pay attention. And it's like always okay to ask, right? Like if you don't know, and it's kind of what I'm working on and, and what my own children work on is like, we never assume, right? Like we're trying to never assume. Yeah. And so when you meet somebody, you're like, hey, I'm Tiffany. I use she, her pronouns. How do you identify? Just like mm -hmm. super simple like that. And it's so much easier for the kids to do than us adults yeah. who have been taught to just like make these assumptions or yeah. to say like Mr. or Mrs. And you're like, mm, no, not everybody identifies that way. Right, right. Yeah, but it's like to, we learn that's polite, you know, that's nice. That's what you're supposed to do, sir, right. ma'am. Yeah, oh, thank right. you, sir, and whatever. But actually yeah. it's rethinking those things. Mm -hmm. Interesting. There is a discussion in your book, you talk kind of about identity in the beginning of the book and how there's so many different kind of facets that make up our identity. And one interesting discussion that you make is about intersectionality. Mm -hmm. Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, Kimberly Crenshaw, who's amazing, <laughs> really helped us understand it in a more like clear way. And, it, you know, it came from her the legal work that she did understand that we all have social identities. And so our social identities, I always describe them as they're how we relate to other people in society. And, you know, we have our personal identities, like the things we like, we love, we care about, or, but our socialized identities kind of also lump us in groups of people. And the thing with the social identities too, is they're often these categories that we don't maybe always relate to. They've been created by people over time through history, government, you know, I always love to use the census as an example of how our understandings of social identities change or not. Right. And right. how like, while we may identify as one way, we're not always given the opportunity. Yeah, that box doesn't even exist society. to check on things. Or so whatever. many of them don't. Your, yeah, your passport you know. has to say male or female or right. your whatever. Yeah, it's hmm. now they do have another category. Yep. But that's very recent or yeah. Yeah, like yeah. 2000 was the first time in the census when you could check more than one box for your racial identity. Even though like we've had multiracial people forever. Since, since forever, actually. Right. Yeah. And then we also mix up like race and ethnicity. Like those are all different. Oh, that's my next question. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we have these social identities and we know that there is also this culture in our society, the dominant culture, where 
you look at like who has made decisions for hundreds of years and it's cisgender white Christian men who own property, who are like, you know, not too old, not too young, you know, different aspects and kind of neurotypical. You point that one out in the book too. Exactly. Speak English. Are you a citizen? Working eyes, ears, hands, feet. Yeah. Yeah able-bodied like and also their able bodies are also like fit you know like there's all these different things and anytime you're like i'm not sure what you mean by dominant culture just look at like tv and the magazines in the the grocery store and you'll and you'll see or like the government cabinet you know is uh, not always but more often and so we have the dominant culture and then outside of that is like all the rest of us right like you have like cisgender women non-binary folks trans folks black folks indigenous everybody else so many you know muslim folks like just keeps going on and intersectionality allows us to see that while we may have you know so like me as a biracial cisgender woman I have some privileges and advantages and I have some disadvantages in the world and if I'm like working alongside a white cisgender woman she also shares some advantages and disadvantages however because maybe she fits more in the dominant culture because she's grew up middle class maybe she has a master's like these different elements that bring us closer to the dominant culture give us more privilege and access to things and so intersectionality is really like we're in these different kind of like roads and we will collide sometimes but also our paths are very different and may not even be similar and it was really it's for Kimberly Crenshaw to be able to like articulate that so clearly like and it was like this very specific legal case that she did but it really helps us as just kind of like people in society to understand that many of us have advantages and disadvantages but different parts of our identities bring more advantage or disadvantage and we need to be able to recognize that as a way for us to kind of support and work with each other instead of like playing like what's called like oppression Olympics where you're like, well, I've had it worse because, and you're like, well, like this, this thing in society actually like has, you know, oppression is horrible for everybody. And this person has kind of all these things stacked against them while you're a little bit closer to the dominant culture and your story is different than this person's, but we're looking at like laws and policies and and traditions and, and things that have kept, some folks oppressed and maybe you are a little bit closer to the dominant culture and you haven't had as many disadvantages. You mentioned race versus ethnicity. That's something that I think would be really interesting to talk about because it's something I even have struggled to sort of understand. I used to write academic papers and, you know, we'd always have to report all these things, Hispanic and then also Latin and why is not the same thing. No, it's not the same thing. And these things are, I think, uh, often sort of grouped into the same categories. But what is the difference? Yeah. And our government really struggles with that too. (laughs) When you look at the census and you're like, hi, can't figure out how to fill this out, actually. So race is a social construction. And so it was like created the whole like hierarchy of race and everything was created by people. It's not like this thing you find in the natural world. And race, you know, refers to your skin color and your hair texture, maybe your facial features. 
and um, how you are really similar or different to other people with those same attributes. While your ethnicity is about more of your ancestors and where your family comes from, it's more about place and just how you mm, look. Yeah. And definitely like where your ancestors and where you're from plays into how you look and your appearance. Sure. But ethnicity also includes language and culture and sometimes religion and all of those like other things too. And so I like to use me as an example. So my race is black biracial. Like I walk through the world and I'm a black biracial woman. And that's how people like see me, but they don't know what my ethnicity is. And so my ethnicity is I'm African-American. My dad grew up as a black man in this country, African-American. My mom is British and French and Irish. And so those are my ethnicities, like where my ancestors come from. I grew up in a very like kind of British upbringing and home. It's a part of like our culture which is like a funny thing to say, but it's like <laughs> very, there's a lot of cultural British things that we did. And so that's that difference. And so, yeah. well, for me, like to have on um, the race category is like to have Asian American and then not allow folks to like really tease out yeah. their ethnicity because there's so many different. That's a broad blanket sweep. <laughs> Let's just take about a third of the world's population kind of throw <laughs> Throw them all in the same bag here. I know. Or often the question in the United States is about, you know, your eye. They always ask, like, like, you're white or black. And then they're like, are you Hispanic or not Hispanic? And you're like, well, there's so many other ethnicities in that. And while you're asking, like, Hispanic or not Hispanic, can we be more specific? Can we, like allow folks to write Dominican or Puerto Rican or Cuban like right. why can we not allow people to share their own identities instead of trying to fit them in these like tiny little boxes and it also then yeah it really affects how we then interpret the data mm -hmm. my brother was just talking the other day about how Asian applicants to medical school have to score like 10 points higher on the MCAT than non-Asian but it's like that again like to your point, well, that probably is referring to, you know, Chinese, Japanese, maybe Korean right. applicants, but I doubt it refers to Cambodian or Filipino. I don't know, but it's like well, the way we sort of interpret these numbers is like kind of confusing or misleading yeah. when we don't get specific or break things down. And yeah. Also, why do they have to score more? Oh, yeah. Well, because it's just assumed that it's, you know, easier for them. Or you point out in the book that right. <laughs> it's assumed, oh, black folks in medical establishments are assumed to have a higher pain tolerance and so mm -hmm. doctors are like oh no you're fine you know it's a similar effect it's like oh if you're japanese you're it's test taking is easy for you so right. you need a higher score to get in or something oh my gosh talk about like the ways stereotypes and generalizations just like inform ridiculous policies yeah, yeah. right right now that's just baked into so much of our mm. of everything in our culture i think so What is a microaggression? Ugh, <laughs> it's, microaggressions stink. <laughs> so microaggressions, uh, and some folks talk about them as like, we'll label them as different, but they are kind of like little tiny slights almost. I don't want to say tiny, but they're things that are slights and 
could be something somebody says or the way they act and it feels small yeah. right and maybe you can like brush it off but it like happens a lot and I think yeah. in the book one of the examples I share is like people throughout my life being like what are you and you know if somebody asked me the question like what is your ethnic background? Yeah. I would feel totally different. But when they ask me what are me, it makes me feel like I'm not a human, right? right? And they're trying to like also figure me out. And I once had a right. friend, a guy I worked with when I was in my 20s and I was over at his house and his like dad was there and he was like, oh, oh, my dad's really good at this. Let him guess what you are. And I was like, uh, are you kidding me? Like, and he was like, it's a fun game. And I was like, no, no, no. Like my race and ethnicity is not a game. Okay. It's my life. Um, we're not friends. We're not friends anymore. Uh, <laughs> but so like things like that happen constantly or, or, you know, when you're a black woman or a woman with curly hair and you choose to like straighten it and the, the different comments you get. So my hair is very curly. You can't tell because it's like up, but yeah. um, it's very curly. And in this past week, I, I straightened it because I was just like, I'm going to like, all the my kiddos got haircuts and I was like I want to do something different but I don't want to cut my hair so I straightened it with a flat iron and I noticed that like I was more approachable at the grocery store like people were just talking to me this is a grocery store I go to often and they were just talking to me and I couldn't figure I was like maybe people are just in a good mood but I also think maybe like my hair they were like oh hmm, her straight hair makes her more relatable to me as a white person or, or whatever. Right, yeah. So like just little things like that and yeah. microaggressions, like you don't always notice them when they're happening, but afterwards you feel really right. awful afterwards or you can start questioning yourself yeah. and they, they build up. They don't go away. And so they just kind of like get bigger and bigger. And there's so many different examples of microaggressions. I won't go into them all, but... We're here with Tiffany Jewell talking about not just how to raise a teen who's not racist, but how to raise a teen who is anti-racist. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. We often fall into that dynamic of like charity and community service over activism. And I have another book that I wrote, like The Anti-Racist Kid, which is for younger kids. But I, I like go into almost a little more <laughs> explanation on the difference between community service and activism, because we often see com like schools just doing community service. History is one of those things that is super controlled, right? Especially when we talk about um, young folks and what they learn, whether it's at school or home. And a lot of it is because we ourselves don't know a lot about history or we don't know how to like where to research or where to get the facts from. Yeah. And so doing kind of the work with, with young folks too and teaching them how to research and how to like find facts and, mm. and what to glean from that can be really powerful. And to allow for their questions that they have about the world. So like use the Holocaust as an example, like it is a thing that feels very horrific. And my 11 year old has asked about that. And then me as a parent gets to be like and talk about genocide and what genocide looks like throughout the country and looking at our own country and what it looks like, you know, how our country was founded on genocide. And we don't talk about that and we don't label it as genocide. Instead, we talk about it as 
colonizers settlers, right? Like we labeled as that. Yeah, right. And so much of the curriculum that we learn is Eurocentric, which is why the focus is on the Holocaust. To find your superpowers, a lot of times you might not recognize that your superpower is the thing that makes you different from other people too, right? Like doesn't fit into those boxes. Might be the thing, you know, I think of like students in class who are told, you know, sent to the office because they can't be still. Right. And really like your ability to move around and like process what's happening is an incredible superpower. I love and that. so it's just like recognizing those things that are that make you who you are and that are a part of you that I don't want to say set you apart from other people, but that you can use those abilities, whatever they are, to balance out the work that you're doing with other people. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.